boys and girls, you're tuned into episode 76 of the Comics Pals, a comic book podcast where some nice boys talk about a bunch of funny book stuff. No, no joke? No, no joke this week? I'm your host for this week's edition, Phil Casey. Uh, Sean is down in New Orleans this week to get sports entertained. He got the green light. So, boys, how are we doing this week? Did you guys do anything comic booky this week? I mean, no, it's mostly just been dealing with a cartoon character like you for a friend. I really, when when the idea of Phil hosting a show came up, I, I really thought we all vetoed that. <laughs> See, I definitely did. You joke, this is the third show I've done with Phil in about a week. So it's uh, it's been a trip, man. <laughs> Who's allowing this? I'm a halfway decent contributor. I don't understand why I haven't done one. <laughs> Hashtag let Kale host. <laughs> it is very strange. I've actually hosted three of our shows this week and recording. <laughs> don't know. Don't know how that got happened. That's a sentence. <laughs> Not a particularly good one. Don't know how that got happened, but here we are. I'm hosting now. So, with excellent grammar like that, you can see why we're a five-star rated podcast. Speaking of which, you can find us on Apple Podcasts. So, please, if you haven't already, leave us a rating and tell your friends about us. And as always, you can reach us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, all under the Comics Pals name. And get in touch with your favorite pals. And with that, we have some reader mail. Did you guys know um, that Nickelodeon is looking for a new host for Blue's Clues? A new That's Steve? one hell of a non sequitur, but oh, yes, whoa, I had I see it. I see it, Kale. Yeah, oh, you, you see where I'm going Phil, with it? Yes. Phil does look like Steve. Here's the mail. It never fails. It always makes me want to wag my tail. Can you just real quick... Uh, have you seen Blue, my puppy? Oh, hey guys. I didn't see you there. Uh, have you seen Blue, my puppy? <laughs> Pretty good. Pretty, Pretty good. good. Too bad. Could be good. Listeners, not only write to us, but write to Viacom and tell them how I should be the new Steve. <laughs> All right. So let's get into this reader mail. Um, so we got a good amount this week. Uh, let's start with some comments we got over on YouTube uh, that I'm sure we're not going to have anything to say about. So this first one uh, comes from Dragonsmith who wrote in on uh, our episode about uh, Brian Michael Bendis and, um, you know, basically all the news about him taking on Superman. And uh, he writes in and says, Bendis is going to ruin everything. He can't write families, and he's not the writer he once was. He's got a fever, and it's for intersectional feminism. <laughs> so me, me and Kale commented, uh, like, the first part of that sentence as we were, re- we were reading it. We're kind of just like, oh, all right, yeah, that's an opinion. And then yeah, right. And then, and then, and then it and then it goes into hey hey. <laughs> yeah, I know. That's exactly what I was thinking as I was reading it too. It's like this guy sounds so reasonable, and then it just takes such a hard left turn. I didn't. Um, I guess. I guess I didn't realize I must also be sick. You have Guys, a, I, a di- I've come down with intersectional feminism. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> I've got a taste for it, and now it's all I'm after. Uh-oh. I just, I I guess I never realized I, I believe in equality. Uh oh! Among all the sexes and genders and orientations and Kale. races. Oh god! The dislikes—they're incoming! Watch out! <laughs> uh, Kale, I'm, I think I'm coming down with it too. Oh my god! 
Oh, it, oh, it's oh, contagious. Oh no! <laughs> oh no! Uh, I think I'm gonna be a healthy person in interacting with other humans. Oh, I'm gonna be <laughs> sick. People are gonna tolerate me. Uh, uh, <laughs> uh, wait, I'm gonna tolerate other people. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh. Yeah, thanks for writing in, Dragonsmith, I guess. Oh, and then, um, sorry, real quick, we also had Synthoris uh, replied to Dragonsmith's comment and said, I can see Bendis making him hide immigrants and fighting the U.S. government over it. That's the kind of expectations I have for his run on Superman. And to that, I have to say, and? Um, the guy who replied to this, now, I'm sorry if I'm offending any listeners at home, but I'm wondering if, uh, I'm wondering if his brain is a pudding. I'm wondering if he's a pudding brain. That's that's the kind of expectations I have for his run on YouTube comments. So... <laughs> what else we got? Alright, so we also got uh, two two paragraphs here from uh, Canon Ar- Arcani? Ar- Arcanos. Canon Arcanos is what I'm going to guess it is. Uh, over on YouTube. And this came uh, on our last episode, Could the Anti-Diversity Movement Kill Comics? So, this one's the strap in for this one, boys and girls. So diversity in comics is a bastard who just want everyone he disagree with fired? You don't seem to know a lot about him. If a comic is good, he will recommend it, even if he don't like the person behind it. You want more diversity in comic to attract new readers by your logic. The readers you want to attract will only come if you make character that represent them. Oh, sorry, it doesn't work what... <laughs> it doesn't work. They will not come if you create new character. They will only come if you change already existing character because they are not interested enough in comics to come just because you created a new hero. But even if it worked, you are using the same logic to attract new customers. We'll push away the ones you already... Or the one you already have, which is... There's, there's something there. There's layers there. You are just betting on a new fan base with we can or can't come. And spoiler, the sales of those diverse comics is low. Uh, so then, oh, did you want to respond to that one before Go his follow-up? No, 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 please. Okay. Uh, so then, then he followed up saying, saying comics is was not diverse is like spitting on every comic book that came out. Saying that minority can't appreciate a good story is like treating every minority like a bun of racist. And this came from your local Arabic Muslim guy. I don't want you to assume that I'm white because apparently they can't speak without being treated as bigoted. Also, every writer artist treat their readers like trash now. And strangely, they are either women or member of LGBTQ plus community. It's not a goose way to start if you want to change things. Guys, I think, I think he makes Something a lot there. of really good points. I, yeah. I'm I'm sold. <laughs> Alright, listen, Kanan Zaras. <laughs> Diversity in comics is a bad guy. It's cool. That's who he is. That's his business. He can keep that over there. Don't bring that into our space. First of all. To be fair, we brought that into our space, so... <laughs> Is that second of all, or is that an addendum to first of all? That's an addendum. <laughs> second of all, Miles Morales was one of the biggest sellers of uh, comic books, you know, because he, he physically sold comic books uh, out of all of the the characters. 
in Marvel for a while. It's a it's a broken argument for sure coming from me, but <laughs> like uh, the, the the argument we're making is that there are stories to be put out by people who aren't white people. And if you reflect those stories in people who look like those people, there are nuanced... There are, are things that come across more nuanced and more relatable to, to, to make those stories work and work better in ways that white people can't. Um, and you're, I mean, you're probably right about the, the, the new characters thing. There's nothing, nothing anybody can do about that, but. I think that was a good opportunity for Marco to edit in Hans Zimmer music behind him to make it extra motivational, what Kale was saying. But, um, I, I want to take a chance to, to respond. Uh, hey, Mr. R. Russ, uh, diversity, good. (laughs) I like uh, diversity very good. Um, (laughs) <laughs> Other people have opinions too, uh, and have things to say. Uh, they should be able to say it. Not do it in a bizarro voice. Uh, me am diversity. <laughs> so you're not diversity. Yeah. No, he's he, he's <laughs> white. White people are bigoted <laughs> and racist, and <laughs> that's that's my big takeaway from this. Is like whenever we get comments like this, when people are just like, oh, well, I guess. I guess what you know it's like we never said anything about white people aren't allowed to say anything without being bigoted shut like, up that was, shut up reverse racism it was never ever a part of our narrative so and uh, i mean let's get real white people are bigoted <laughs> and racist so sure but you know it's also like you know three of the five people on this podcast are white men you know like we're not like we, like we didn't. I don't know. It's just it's. It seems a little dramatic. That's all I've got to say on that one. Mark, you um, got anything to weigh in on there, real quick? Mark up. What? I asked if you had anything you wanted to add. <laughs> no. <laughs> that's, that's, Thanks, buddy. That's fair. <laughs> I right. didn't hear you. So that the the you know the discussion on diversity didn't come from the three white guys. <laughs> well. <laughs> <laughs> Um, <laughs> yep. All right. I love that Marco's just leaving us out to dry. Not even gonna comment on it. All right. So let's just move on from that one. Uh, so next up, we got an email over at thecomicspals at gmail.com where you can write in, whoop, and whoop. Uh, we got an email from our uh, our pal Tyler Olson over from the Longbox Podcast. Tyler. Wee-woo. Hey, Tyler. What's up, Tyler? I have a surprise for you during this bit. So. Oh, is it something about every time we say the, the name Tyler? Is that what's happening, Marco? Every time we say Tyler, does something happen? Potentially. I guarantee you, Marco's going to have that recorded and play that for the Comics Pals. (laughs) Now he will. You win. Good books this week. Good books. Um, So that means we're going to be talking about them. Spoiler alert. Wee woo. Wee woo. For the Comics Pals. I guarantee you, Marco's going to have that recorded. Now we will. Oh, wow. Okay. So let me read this email from Tyler. You got it. <laughs> guys, guys, I miss Tyler. We me too. So Tyler writes in and says, re Jerry Dugan. 
Duggan, sorry. Hey guys, Tyler here. We Regarding woo. last week's discussion about hey, Tyler. Of the Galaxy. Hey Tyler. I said said Taylor. Hi Tyler. <laughs> <laughs> Regarding last last week's discussion about Guardians of the Galaxy and Jerry Duggan, I'm going to come to bat for the guy. His all new Guardians of the Galaxy run is actually really good. He finds a way to pick and choose aspects of the comics and movies to use in it and honestly finds a nice happy middle ground. The book also showcases some stellar, see what I did there, art by Chris uh, Chris Samney. Aaron Cooter and Fraser Irving, to name a few. My only issue with it has been that it's been bogged down with setting up Infinity Countdown and Wars for over a year, which didn't really help it. Also, in regards to his Deadpool run, I suggest you read his Deadpool Volume 2 trade. It's a more serious and heartening approach to Deadpool. It's also drawn by Declan Freakin' Shalvey. Go check out our interview we did with Declan Shalvey at uh, New York Comic Con. Phil interviewed him, it was a good one. Uh, I also recommend his more recent Volume 10, which is a secret Empire tie-in, you're welcome, Sean, that deals with some real heady themes. It's funny, but also downright depressing, much like my life. Thanks for the show. Tentacle Gang. Tyler Olson. Tentacle Gang! I suppose I should respond to this first, because uh, most of this is targeted at me, because I made the comments. Tyler. Fair enough, dude. Sounds pretty chill. (laughs) That's my response. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> All right, great. Are you going to read it? Are you going to like take them up on any of these recommendations? Yeah, maybe. Wow. That's uh, great. Thanks, Phil. Yeah, sounds <laughs> sounds very chill to me. Hey, hey Tyler. Um, I won't. Yeah, that, that, that tracks. Yeah, I mean, Marco Marco doesn't read comics, right? I, yeah, I don't read comics. All-Star Superman thing. Marco's not really a comics guy. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know. Believe me, that is true. Uh <laughs> Anything else? Anything else? Anyone wants to say to Tyler in this in this space? Chris Samney is a really good artist. Uh, you can listen to Tyler and his friend Matt Murphy over on the long uh, the long box. It's a it's a podcast, all right. It's an NSFW comics podcast. <laughs> Go check it out. All right, thanks for writing, in, Tyler. Always love hearing from you. Okay, so then we got our last email. Uh, this is an older one, and it's going to take us into our rotating segment this week. Uh, so this comes from Fartknocker6699 at yahoo.com, who writes in and says, Hi, pals. Hi, guys. Or his email's titled, Hi, pals. Hi, guys. I was wondering, if Superman has farting powers? If he does, would they be wind, smell, or sound? Would it be a mix of all three? Or, would it, or what about shooting projectile poop particles? Follow-up question. If you guys had these powers, which would you choose? Thanks, Fknocker. So, uh, I guess that means it's time for the random question of the week! I backed off and everything. I'm sorry, Skype, please freeze my audio on you no, guys. No, you didn't. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, I have no idea who Farnarker is. We've, uh, we've been getting this email for a few weeks. Um, <laughs> this is, like, the second or third time they've written in. And I thought it was a friend of mine. They said it wasn't. He thought it was me. It wasn't. So... I don't fucking care. Uh, let's answer the question, I guess. Uh, so Superman's farts. Hmm. So I I think it would be a combination of wind and sound. I disagree. Please go on. I think it'll be a combination of all three, but he can control to varying degrees the intensity of each one. He's super. He's super. Uh, for right. for me, for me, the uh, the the smell wouldn't necessarily be in his control. It's like you know the only the, I think ab- about the only extent you could do 
and and I'm basing this on you know my own dietary experiments <laughs> is with you know your various foods. See, I, I'm sort of viewing it from like a tactical standpoint. Like you have to sort of preemptively know you're going to do something and require the super smell. And I think that's where that's where the comics nature of like the 50 Superman comics comes in. It's just right. He can do, you, do whatever he wants. Question: Do you think he flies into space to use the bathroom every time, like the fart or whatever? Because it's like, oh, I can't do it on Earth. Why not? Do you, now that goes into the second part of the question. Does he have poop, super poop projectiles? I had to think almost certainly. All right. So I, I, I'm inclined to agree with Kale on this one. I definitely think it's got to be it's got to be wind and um, sound based. Right. Because like, that's cons- consistent with Superman's powers. I think the the smell thing is, to Kale's point, going to be based on what's going in the gas tank. As far as like the projectile poop stuff goes, I feel like it's it's got to be right. Like he's got to be capable of it. If you can control the wind and the sound, ideally you could control the sphincter. Well, and that's right. Exactly. That's my point. And it's like not even that I feel like he could necessarily control the sound. I just think that it would be like if he went like a full blast fart that it would like create a sonic wave. Yeah. You know? Yep. Well, after reading All-Star Superman, I have some theories now. Uh, in that book, we find out that there is a league of supermen that can travel throughout time and space. I'm I'm wondering if uh, in his adolescent days, Superman uh, put a lighter up to his butt and farted a fire, which caused the Great Chicago Fire. Um, I'm wondering if uh, he had a bad Philly cheesesteak one day and... He dropped a bad dookie in London in the 1800s, which caused the cholera outbreak and the terrible smell. Uh, well, well let me st- let me stop you there. Okay. the The plumbing system in London—I don't know if you know about this—is very fragile, and this is true. Um, they blame it on uh, stuff like uh, like sanitary wipes, like baby wipes, and like uh, like tampons, and you know, uh, I mean, real regular people poop. Uh, but let's, let's be honest. It was probably Superman. Kryptonian super poop. That's right. Makes sense. Makes sense. Knocked out the whole of London's plumbing system. So listen, if the League of Superman are listening or watching this podcast, they need to control their own. Whichever, uh, rebel Superman is going around in history and just causing all kinds of mischief. I bet, I bet his fart knocked the Sphinx's nose off. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) Damn, dude. You're um, really like you're you're laying a lot of responsibility at your favorite superhero's feet, you know. He's he's been responsible for some heinous shit. Yeah, well, I don't think it's all of them. I think it's one of them, one of the League of Superman members. I want to be clear here. This isn't an invitation, but I would be very interested to hear what Grant Morrison has to say about this. <laughs> <laughs> me too honestly because like the the fucked up thing is you'd ask him and like i i wonder like i don't even think he would be like there wouldn't like, be he, there wouldn't be hesitation right like, i feel like, like I he, would, he just, would turn his nose up he'd be like he would have an answer for you <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> now, hold on this was an invitation <laughs> you know what? Sh- shut up for a minute kale go ahead phil that's stoic he is well, as, as Superman walks his dog across the solar system, he takes a pit stop at Saturn where he drops all his dookies in his, in his urine. 
<laughs> that's how I, if you actually think about it that's how Jupiter and Saturn and Neptune became gas giants oh my god <laughs> <laughs> alright so is that it for the reader mail Pete yeah it's it for the reader mail this week so if you'd like you can always write in to us on any of the platforms that we've uh, mentioned before YouTube Gmail uh, social media if you have a question or any comments you'd like to get, get at us with Anyway, I have a little game for us real quick before we uh, jump into the poll list and reader uh, in the uh, news. It is a game called Would You Rather? So the way this is going to work is I'm going to give you guys two options. There will be a floor open for questions where you can ask me uh, clarifying questions. I will close the floor for, uh, for questions and then you guys will have to decide your answer and I will decide which one is best. So these are your two options. Would you rather ride the subway with a very smelly, bloody, and angry Wolverine, as in Logan, James Howlett, or would you rather get hired and do laundry Ooh. for the Avengers? Okay. Sky train. I mean, uh, no, no, you I, can't I, answer. I, you have uh, to ask I have me. my answer. Well, we'll find out. Uh, Maybe some of the uh, clarif- clarifications will uh, derail you, as it were. <laughs> they won't. <laughs> All right, I'm opening the floor to questions. Okay, so how elaborate would you say the Avengers laundry situation is? Uh, and what I mean by that is, do they have um, like like super machines where all you have to do is push a button? Or is it like you have to reach down into the basket and grab everyone's clothes and toss it in at once? Actually, you have to hand wash most of the laundry. Uh, there is a machine, but you know sometimes when you have to do some of the more extravagant clothing, it uh, ruins the machine for a little while, and Jarvis has to come fix it. So oftentimes you have to do it by hand. I see. I don't. I don't buy that. Phil's just making stuff up. Cite your sources. In what comic book do we learn about this? This is canon. You have to just uh, listen. I'm setting the rules here. You can't dispute the question. The, the, the rules. That's true. This is the question. He is the question master. Okay. Okay. Question. Okay. How- what, how bad of a smell are we talking? Are we talking 2 a.m. on, like, 2 a.m. vomit on the train? Are we talking, like, homeless milky smell man? Are we talking, like, open wound on the subway train? Like, what, what, what's the smell? What's the, what's the context? That's a very good question. I'm glad you asked it. It's actually kind of an all-in-one situation. It's very clear that Wolverine kind of went through the sewers of Staten Island at some point this afternoon, uh, and now he's on the train. Staten that's not Island. Too bad. That's, yeah, that's not bad. Yeah, that's. I mean, that's better than I would have expected. Yeah, honestly, could be worse. Could be worse. He, he's clearly covered in other people's dookie. Yeah, sure. Okay, that's fine. Yeah. Uh, all right. Question. Okay. What is the pay scale and benefits package for working for the Avengers as their Ooh, laundry person? Good I'm question. Glad, I, I'm glad you asked that. So the pay is competitive. Uh, you definitely <laughs> feel with what. <laughs> <laughs> it's in the laundry washing like, industry. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but that's what I'm saying. It's like, can I like, can I live in Manhattan? Because I'm going to work at the fucking Avengers Ooh, Tower. Good no, question. Like, you know, do you, or do you live at the Avengers Tower? Yeah, that's a, that's the thing. You live at the Avengers Tower. Uh, you get to eat food cooked by Jarvis. Mm. Uh, it's very good. You get to uh, occasionally guys like Captain America say hi to you. Um, they they don't know yeah. they don't know your name yet, but like they know that you're there. Uh, I, dude, I'd work my way in, dude. I could be like uh, Rick Jones, you know, and just be like their like lovable sidekick who they teach to fight. 
Like, come on. But the, Sounds like a pretty good but, gig. But the problem is that you definitely feel like you could be paid more, and there's a little bit of a of a bias you have against Tony Stark because you look at him and you think, come on, man, give me a little bit more money here. <laughs> I mean, that's how, how I feel in real life already, so... <laughs> how, uh, how How's the dental? Dental is very good because the Avengers are constantly losing their teeth, so uh, you're part of that so package. It, it's really provider? just included. All right. Yeah. Which provider? Good provider, same with healthcare. It's a good healthcare plan because obviously uh, that's that's part of the work too. Okay, how long? Like, wh- how, where's the train ride, the subway ride from and to? So Great the reason question. why the Wolverine is on the train is uh, because he has an adversary to fight. But the problem is the adversary is making the trains run nonstop. So you're on that train until Wolverine uh, is able to stop whoever he's trying to, you know, stop. So it could be a while. So he's obviously on. <laughs> What is it? The the four, you know, at the bottom of Manhattan, all the way to. We're getting real specific here. <laughs> go, go, <laughs> all the four, to the you know, got so gotta be all the way to the train, Bronx. It's two in the morning. Wolverine yeah. smells like shit. <laughs> but the thing is, if it goes well, Logan will buy you a beer and dinner afterwards. Oh, see, and he'll, I don't. That's, that sounds pretty specific. Fills the, fills the question master. We can't question the question master. He's, he's right. You can't. I didn't question. I, I, I think. Uh, are we ready to make our any, cases? All right. I, fi- any final questions? All right. I'm closing the floor for questions. Uh, let me tally up the answers here. Okay, Marco, what are you going to go with? Uh, I'm going to go with the train ride. Uh, I don't much care for the Avengers. I have a job, uh, and I would like to have dinner with James Howlett. Okay. All right. All right. Um, I'll add your points here. Uh, Kale. <laughs> points. I think. I think I also have to go with the train ride with Wolverine. Um, although I the the dinner and the beer after is suspect to me. Uh, <laughs> the getting to sit on the train, uh, as opposed to doing the Avengers dirty laundry, is far more appealing. All right, Pete. Where are you at? I'm definitely, I'm definitely working for the Avengers, man. I mean, I feel definitely like going for that dental. Here's the thing, right? Good dental plan, right? Competitive pay, uh, get to free lodging, five star meals every night cooked by you know Jarvis. Like that, all on its face already sounds good. And I and like yeah, some of their like costumes are gonna be funky, but you know what? Like sometimes you gotta roll up your sleeves and put in a hard day's work, guys. And uh, I think at the very least. I could get some cool stories out of it. I'd have some interesting things to talk about on the podcast every week. It's like, yeah, man, you know, I was kicking it at Avengers Tower, you know, and hanging out with Captain America. And it's like, yeah, I, I feel like I feel like it would be a good experience. You know, even if it's not a long term career move, it's like it's a good resume builder, man. So as it turns out, Pete was the one to answer correctly. So Pete wins this edition of Would You Rather. He compiled the most points, uh, which I statistically add up in my uh, computer brain. So good job, Pete. And what, what was the point breakout? Uh, I can't disclose that. I'm the, That's I, classified information. I'd like Marco. to see where I stand. I'm the question. Nah, Marco. You can't because, question the question master. Uh, I, well, I can't tell him this. Marco, you actually finished last because you tried to answer before I opened the question for it, which actually deducted <laughs> a lot of points. <laughs> from no. See, I was going to say, Marco, the answer is classified unless you're a member of the Avengers, which I am now. So, If you guys have a would-you-rather scenario that you'd like to send us, feel free to send us that at thecomicspals at gmail.com. So let's move into the pals polls here. Uh, Kale, you had Captain Swing 
and The Electric Pirates of Cindery Island. Tell us about that book. So this is a new one from Warren Ellis, mm-hmm. um, which I uh, had no idea existed. Um, so I, by the title alone, I am at least uh, sold to give it a try. It's in trade, so you know I'm down. Um, here is the description. Uh, in the London of 1830, newly minted copper Charlie Gra- Charlie Gravel keep keeps seeing things he's not supposed to. A crooked Bow Street runner with a flintlock revolver, high-flying vessels that are not supposed to fly, and the violent scientific phasmagoria popularly known as Spring-Heeled Jack. <laughs> with the coming of Captain Swing and his electric and his electric pirates, history shall never be the same. Uh, this cracking. This crackling new graphic novel is illustrated by Raulo. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, what, what segment of the show is this? It's the one where Kale does the thing. <laughs> Raulo. What was that? He does the thing. <laughs> Raulo Caceres. <laughs> Excellent. Okay. Mark, don't stun- even bother correcting him. <laughs> in a stunning woodcut style, capturing the classic literary feel from the days of yore. Sounds neat. Uh, being put out by Avatar Press, so mm-hmm. um, sounds good. And then you also yeah. have the Immortal Men number one. Yeah. Uh, so this is one of the uh, one of the new DC Comics number ones. Um, I I really like the the sort of unexplored, deep deep uh, sort of time traveling um characters of you know sort of godlike characters of of dc uh characters like uh, the phantom stranger or uh the wizard shazam um they're all really fascinating to me and uh what this book seems like is it's it's gonna sort of make a new canon for characters like that um it's uh james tinney in the fourth uh jim lee and scott williams i believe um, and, uh, so I, I, I imagine they probably got started, you know, three years ago when Jim Lee was free. So, yeah. uh, we should probably, get at least a, we should get at least a decent arc. That's probably how long it took for him to draw it too. Yeah. <laughs> we should get at least a decent first arc, uh, art wise. All right. Sounds good. Uh, Pete, you have oblivion song number two. I do. Uh, so Oblivion Song is uh, Robert Kirkman's new comic uh, with Lorenzo De Felici on uh, pencils and Annalisa Leone. Uh, I think she does both inks and the colors. Um, so I uh, I picked up the first issue. I actually haven't had a chance to read it yet, but I'm going to read it now uh, to you know get into issue two when it drops this week. Um, I'm a huge Robert Kirkman fan, obviously. Um, you know, like The Walking Dead, Invincible is my favorite comic. Uh, so I'm definitely excited to get into this one. The reason I didn't read it the week it came out was because um, I'm pretty good friends with uh, the guy who works at my LCS. And the week it came out, I went and I picked it up and he like told me the entire plot of the comic while we were making small talk. And I was like trying to like get him off of it. And he like was just like so excited to talk to me about it. I didn't have the heart to stop him. So I was like, I'm going to like let I'm going to like let a month remove me from this so that I can read it and feel a little fresher. Um, so I'm, I'm excited to jump into it. I'm sure I'll have thoughts on it, uh, you know, after I got into the next one. And then, uh, Man, Mark- hopefully, hopefully he doesn't listen to the show. You put him on blast like that. <laughs> in fairness, you know, I love you, Julian. In fairness, that, 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 
like goes for like a handful of creators. Like if they listen to our show, oh boy, Dan Slot. <laughs> well, no, he didn't say creators. He said to my my local comic book store uh, operator. Yeah, he's a creator. Okay. <laughs> uh, Marco, uh, what you've got? You got something for us, right? You've got a yep, book to promote. Uh, uh, yeah, actually, right before um, we started, like a couple minutes before, I got a tweet from, or I got a response from Brian. He had uh, reached out maybe a couple weeks back, back in January, uh, or like months back now, um, about Uzumaki, the horror manga that uh, he recommended. So he says, I just finished Uzumaki. I really enjoyed it. Creepy and weird, just like uh, just like me. LOL. The ending left me asking questions, though. But overall, really cool. Definitely plan on reading more from Junji Ito. Uh, and funnily enough, this week, I actually got the book. Uh, I had gone to Strand and picked it up. I saw it, and I was like, yep, I got to get it. Uh, so, Brian, I finished the first two chapters. Really, really cool stuff. Uh, I will continue reading. I definitely want to get through the rest and agreed. I think the next one on my list is Gyo uh, from Junji Ito as well. So thanks for writing in. Yeah, thank you. So for mine, this will transition us into the news. I have Action Comics 80 Years of Superman, which is the uh, giant hardcover book with a bunch of different writers and artists to help commemorate uh, uh, the Action Comics 1000 that will be coming out. Uh, and with that, we can jump right into the news. With this 80-year anniversary book, uh, this is a good tie-in to talk about DC sales here. Um, so DC Comics co-publisher Dan DiDio says retail orders of the publisher's upcoming DC Nation number 0 anthology one-shots have reached the 1 million mark, which DiDio says is the highest-selling sing- single issue in his time with DC. Tadio made the announcement Thursday during DC's retailer-only panel at Chicago C2E2 convention. Quote, if we can get one million of these into the hands of fans, that could change everything, Tadio said. The one million number does carry a small caveat. The anthology, which contains three stories that will set the stage for the future of the Batman, Justice League, and Superman lines, is priced at only 25 cents. Now here's where the tie-in for the, uh, for the, for what our uh, pull list is. The deal also announced that DC's other major spring release, Action Comics number 1000, has reached orders of a half million copies. Yeah. Action Which Comics is crazy when you think about how much it costs. Yeah. So Action Comics That's a lot of money. number 1000 is due out on the shelves April 18th, followed by DC Nation number zero, which will hit sh- shelves on May 2nd. Let's talk about these numbers. That, that 1 million mark is going to... I don't know. I feel like that's going to be tough, really tough to hit. Um, I don't see them getting past like maybe half. 20, 25 cents though? Anybody uh, with mean, a spare quarter is going to go pick that up. Still though, like, I mean, the, the industry is small. Like, are there that many people going to be interested in like a book that eventually doesn't necessarily have any like value for resale too? Uh, like, honestly, maybe just because like anecdotally speaking, um, I, I remember when Walking Dead did something similar. Um, that book was a huge outlier the year it released. I don't I don't remember if it was twenty it was twenty fifteen or was no, it twenty fifteen or sixteen? Yeah, it was like twenty sixteen. Yeah, so you remember the I one remember I'm talking that. about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um yeah, and like that that book I and it moved like a lot more than normal. And Walking Dead's already a big book, you know, so 
as far as comics go. Uh, so, I, like, yeah, but I mean, I'm inclined like, to agree with you that a million is a lot. That's a yeah. huge number. But I, I don't think the half a million is is crazy at all. If Superman uh, or Action Comics 1000 already did that, and that's a what twenty dollars at thirty dollars. I think I it's. A, I believe it's a thirty dollar book. Thirty dollars, right? Because then they move it up to fifty, and then moved it back to thirty. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. So. Okay, so yeah, so uh, five hundred thousand copies at thirty bucks is good. That's something. Well, yeah. the uh, the issue is the same, like four or five dollars. The thirty, the thirty dollar book is like when you have like the extra stories and everything. So like, there's two, there's two oh, there. Right. I forgot there's like a regular one too. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. Right, right. Okay, that that's true. That that, that does sort of mention that. Okay. Hmm. I don't know, Mark. I, I don't know that it, I I don't know that it does for me. I mean, you know, think about like trade sales. You know, an eighty page. I mean, an eighty page trade would be terrible, but <laughs> but like a you know, this this is a a, a one thousand. This is a piece of history. Yeah, it's like that's probably why the numbers are so big on this, right? It's yeah, like this is a this is a major milestone, and I'm this is like the kind of book that non comics collectors buy thinking it'll be worth something. Yeah. You know, well, so like, then everyone has one. So it's not like, like the, <laughs> the, the action comics 1000. That one I definitely think is going to like sell. This is specifically for like the 1000, the, the other one, the number zero, the anthology yeah. one. Yeah. That's like specifically in reference to that. Like, like that, I don't think is going to, cause I mean, right. Pete, like even though like walking dead, like it normally sells like a hundred K copies. So like, more than normal is like 350k yeah right yeah right but this is what i'm saying though if the well i guess i guess the regulars hmm yeah i don't know like the more we talk about this marco might be right i don't know this this is a this is a uh you know in theory this is a continuity free you know jumping on point for literally anyone I think I think the oh, the only way this could really go wrong is if they don't get it into the hands of the people who don't normally read it, or or you know if they can get it into places that don't just sell comic books. Like if they can get this into Barnes and Noble, which I bet they will, it'll. I mean, yeah, then fly off the shelves for twenty five right. cents. Are you kidding? Right, right. Like that, I definitely see as a better perspective than just like at, at shop sales. That said, a million copies, that's I, – like, I, I do agree in principle, that's crazy. Yeah. It's a lot like, to ask. My my first reaction is is Dan Didio's trying to bluff his, his way through, you know, <laughs> trying to make the other retailers, <laughs> you know, quake. But, I, like, I mean, a book like this, you know, and for 25 cents – you know, uh, DC's books do sell, you know, their big books do sell a lot. Yeah. Um, and with content, you know, the upcoming Justice League titles being done by Scott Snyder, who is DC's top selling writer, you know, people are going to look out for that. I also feel like if comic book stores are smart about it, this is the kind of book that could move a lot of units because it is so cheap. Like, I don't know about you guys, but, um, you know, I remember one of my, uh, cause I go, I go to a couple different stores regularly, but one of the stores that I frequent, um, when they do have event books like this, they don't actually like, um, they don't always put them out on the shelf. Like they'll, they'll put like, uh, like a picture of the cover 
and say you can come get it behind the, sh- the desk or whatever, or, you know, when you go to check out. But when you do check out, they try to sell everybody on it. Where They're like, hey, do you want this, like, 25 cent event book that you know came out or whatever and sure. a lot of people get it as an impulse buy of like because you said it's a fucking quarter you know so even if you're maybe kind of interested in it you know or the person who's behind the the cash register is a decent salesman i feel like that's not a that's that's like an impulse like magazine buy when you're standing in line at the grocery store right of like that's ah, 25 cents i'll check it out yep I can that's a hundred percent how you get me I can, I can use a pack of gum <clears throat> yeah exactly Exactly right, and I, I think I, I could see that being the case. You know, yeah. like I, I could see that really helping it move the needle. On top of the fact that it's already going to sell well because of what kind of book it is, because of the lowered price point. Um, if if Kale's right about the idea of like bookstores and stuff like that, I think that's another one where if like you get the you know adult in there with their kid. And they're waiting in line for their Starbucks or whatever. And they're like, "Mom, Dad, let me get this twenty-five cent comic." Yeah, sure. That'll keep you busy while I'm trying to get a book. You know, yeah, while I drink yeah. my coffee. I, I, I don't know. Like, yeah. I mean, I, I don't know. I, I, I guess I, I hope I'm proven wrong. Like, hopefully, it sells. It only does good things for the industry. So, yeah, change everything is a little much, but I, you know, I, I it could be it for sure. And, and that's like a unilateral opinion too. We all want the industry to thrive because it's a industry we do an entire podcast about. Clearly, it's something that means something to us. But uh, moving right along, uh, speaking of sales for books, Power Rangers Shattered Grid sells out again. Following Hell the yeah. new, yeah, I figured this would be right it's off. Very surprising. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, uh, following. I mean, no, go on. Not especially, sorry. <laughs> I was saying, like, for for me, yeah. Like, sure. I, I didn't expect it to be this big of a deal. And ever since that, f- for, or not the first, but that, that last live Second action trailer. trailer. Yeah. Yeah, and, like, everybody got really hyped about it. I was like, oh, wow, maybe this is going to be, like, a thing. And then it's like, to see that it sold out twice, I was like, wow. Like, yeah. I was surprised when it sold out the one time. The fact that the next printing is already gone as well, it's like, all right, fuck yeah, go IDW. Yeah, good for them. So, so the good into it here. Following the news of the boom, sellout of Mighty Morphin Power Rangers number twenty-five, I'm sorry, which is the kickoff to the Power Rangers Shattered Grid event. Boom Studios, Pete and Sabin, uh, Sabin sorry, <laughs> and Sabin Brands announced that uh, is this a band? Sabin Saban Saban announced that Saban's Go Go Power Rangers number eight. Uh, a prequel to Power Rangers Shattered Grid has also so- sold out at a distributor level. This issue nice. features the debut of the new Power Ranger known as the Ranger Slayer, a servant of Lord Draken, and Ooh. a dark alternate reality version of Kimberly Hart, the Mighty Morphin Power Ranger Pink Ranger. To meet yeah, the overwhelming no. demand from fans, uh, Saban Gogo Power Rangers number 8 second printing variant featuring the art of Damora will hit stands on May 2nd along with Saban's Gogo Power Rangers number 9. So this is huge for Boom, and this is huge for the Power Rangers line. Yeah, I want to get that. Dude, like, Boom is awesome. They are a really interesting publisher. I feel like they have, like, over the last couple years, like, made a lot of really smart moves and, like, getting into the license. Like, licensed comics are always kind of a mixed bag. Like, we've talked about that on this show. But the licenses that they have are, like, really good licenses for comics, and they've made really good books 
uh, from what I understand. You know, like a lot of them are like kids books. You know, like they do Adventure Time, they do uh, Steven Universe and, you know, a bunch of the Cartoon Network stuff and um, obviously Power Rangers. So it's like, it's cool, man. Like, uh, I'm glad to see this success for them because I like Boom and they've put out a, a bunch of books I enjoy. And it's cool that they're able to um, have success with this kind of stuff that I think has more like commercial viability if it's done well so that like they can like invest in indie comics that are smaller, you know, like because they have Lumberjanes, which is like kind of their big indie book. But other than that, Giant Days, Boombox, but even Giant Days is kind of small. Like it's not a big marquee title. You know, like no, it's, it's pretty big. I mean, is it like I, I don't I don't see it in like the you know, it's not in like a top sales kind of way, a big book like it's got an audience, but. At least, and maybe I'm wrong, right? Like I haven't looked at sales numbers in it for 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 a while, but um, I feel like like Lumberjanes to me has always seemed like the forward facing property that they mm. have. You know, that's had like a fair amount of like mainstream success in terms of comics. Yeah, yeah. So like seeing that this is is doing this well for them is uh, that's awesome. You know, that's great, and I'm happy to see them continue to grow because I really do think they're a good publisher. So that, uh, that that begs a question for me. Last week we did a review on the Shatter Grid and Sean had made the point that if you had not followed the event and you just uh, followed the book leading into the event, it might be very confusing for you uh, if you just kind of jumped in because you were a fan of the TV show from 25 years ago. Do you think this sales success is in any way sustainable for Boom? For this line? Uh, well, Kale said he didn't feel that way. So yeah. like, he hadn't been reading them. Or not so caught I, up. Yeah. Right, right. So uh, I, I don't, you know, maybe that's not the case for most people. Like, and Sean felt that way because he was, he was caught up. And I feel like when you are caught up on a book and you know the stuff that you would be missing, it's always, it always seems like a lot more important, you know? Um, and that's just like an anecdotal opinion that I'm throwing out there. So who knows about that? But I, I feel like this, like you said, it was the second issue also sold out, right? It's not not like a even a, a second printing of the first issue. So like, you know, I don't know that it's sustainable throughout the entire event. It, it seems like more than one issue has already sold Gangbusters. Yeah. So yeah. I don't know that it's, again, sustainable throughout the entirety of the run. Um, but to think that it is sustainable like to have good sales throughout the entire thing i think is is actually i don't want to say a foregone conclusion but seems likely yeah i don't usually that drop off comes at the second issue if there is one yeah i don't i don't want to say that power rangers is is the like the best thing boom is putting out but it's probably very close um so and so I, I I don't know I don't know that I would similar to Pete I don't know that I would say the the boom is haha sustainable uh that's good <laughs> sustainable for you know this particular you know each issue sells out three times you know for the entirety of the rest of the run but I would say at least for the event and up to you know um and you know we'll see what happens up until the next one um but at least for this event i think i think people will figure it out because at at the very least you you know you get the extra nostalgia market coming in with stuff with you know the people who do see that trailer and 
Yep. Right. And the way they've been promoting it overall. Yeah, really um, well. Yeah, right. And and I think even like the you were talking about that live stream thing that they do on Twitch, like there's an activated yeah. Power Rangers fan base and they're promoting the book for those people. So yeah. I'm sure there are a lot of people that are not comics readers but love the Power Rangers and watch that Twitch show that'll be like, I'll go pick up this book, you know, like, yeah, let's check it out. Um, and I think especially that something else that's going to help it, and this is my last point on this, uh, is the thing that Sean mentioned is like as much as I think it probably would have been good from a marketing perspective to make a book that was just called Shattered Grid, like Shattered Grid number one to whatever. Um, the fact that they're doing it across all the different Power Rangers books and that they are coming right away and it's not it doesn't seem like it's going to suffer from yeah. being too spaced out or, or dealing with delays because there are so many people working on it. Um, I do think that's going to be to the book's benefit because hopefully they'll be able to sustain the interest and the electricity around the event until it's over. That's a good point. And, and I mean, you know, the, the other part of that is just that the, you know, it goes, the only other book is go, go power Rangers. You know, it's only one other book. So yeah, it's not to follow it across like six titles or whatever. It's not an extra stretch. Right. Yeah, so as much as it presents a bit of a marketing problem in, like, I'm a new reader, what books do I pick up? Uh, but yeah, in the same breath, I think the way they've chosen to do the event seems like it will be to the event's benefit in terms of keeping these this sales momentum. All right, well, fair enough. We can move along to the next topic here. Can I can I throw out the pitch for the, the Ranger Slayer real quick? Oh, sure, yeah, of course. Or at least my pitch for the Ranger Slayer. So... This dark version of uh, the Pink Ranger, uh, she she has like a like a sort of the dark cowboy like trench coat, and she carries around her bow, and she's got the you know the cool like fin thing, uh, you know, it's kind of like a like a I don't know, almost like horns, you know, coming off her helmet. Yeah, it's yeah, r- real cool. Um, I don't obviously I don't know what what the backstory is there, but. It's it's very much uh, if if you've read the uh, the Power Rangers Pink uh, storyline, uh, you you already know that that Kimberly is uh, a force to be reckoned with by herself. Yeah, she's a um, badass. So so uh, a dark version of her called the Ranger Slayer is real cool. Yeah. That sounds cool. Like I like that the book is offering like uh, it's 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 offering uh, divert like new ideas to this yeah. three season TV show with a movie. You know what I mean? It's 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 it's, it's experimenting with new ideas. Yeah, one of the things that always sounds cool to me about it, like when you guys talk about it, is it seems like it tries to meaningfully build on the mythos and like mm-hmm. like. Um, Play off your nostalgia by, like, giving you fan service, not, like, retreading shit, you know, just, like, let's try to just give you the same stuff you got as a kid, like, no, like, let's take the things that you loved about it and give you the nods that'll give you the pop, but also, like, tell a new meaningful story in this universe, which is, I think, the right way to do it, right? Like, that's cool. I think think one of the ways that I knew this was going to be, the Power Rangers series itself was going to be different is because in like the first at some point during the first volume I, I i don't remember what issue you do meet like tommy's mom <clears throat> and it's like oh okay we're going a little bit deeper this isn't gonna be just 
you know, people in spandex running around beating monsters on a formula. Yeah. Right, right. Okay. So, moving right along, the uh, this this is something that we've talked about for a great while on this show, uh, the idea of how to get comic books effectively to its readers. So, Vault Comics launches the Book It online pre-order service with 20 real retailers. Um, the press release explains... Vault Comics announced Book It, a unique new comic book re- pre-order system designed for fans and retailers alike. Book It allows readers to pre-order their favorite Vault titles and have them delivered to their local comic shop at no additional charge to the reader or retailer. Um, the place uh, a pre-order reader, readers visit www.preorder.com.vaultcomics.com uh, where they select their titles for pre-order. Next, the reader selects the closest local comic book shop where they will like their books delivered. Book It then notifies the chosen comic shop of the pre-orders, allowing retailers to know how many copies of each title to order and which customers ordered them. The best part is the Book It service is completely free to use for both readers and retailers. Um, How do you guys feel about this methodology of pre-ordering books? Because this has been a a subject of, of... topic for some time with uh comiXology and diamond uh it comic book industry has been consistently behind the uh, behind the ball so to speak in getting books to their readers hands um i actually had a conversation with my local comic owner uh like about this because uh one of the guys from forbidden planet happened to be in his shop like looking for some other titles and stuff that they were missing over there Um, son of a bitch yeah, uh, well, I mean, and they know each other. They're both like the retailers, so like they, he was just there and they're just chilling. Um, but they they got into a conversation about it because they were they were talking about uh, pull list, um, and then pull box, which is the diamond one. Um, so like uh, he was basically letting us know that okay, for pull list, make sure everything you have in comicsology is up to date up through to like june or something because they were just going to print that out and use that as a reference moving forward for anything um whereas uh the forbidden planet guys apparently they have their own uh not proprietary but they use some other service that isn't that wasn't offered through comicsology and it's just like a a, sort of a database kind of way to pre-order comics um but it's just it, it costs too much for um for my local guy, uh, anyway, it, it was just like an interesting insight that they, the way that other retailers are having to sort of adapt. Um, and this is kind of a cool way. It, it's only direct for vault titles, but like, it's a cool way for any retailer who needs to access these books to, to have it. And I mean, if other publishers like do this, I mean, it might be a way around some of the uh, issues that you have with pullback and pull list. The only thing is you're going to have to manage like 20 to 30 different kinds of you know independent systems to order your books. So it might get hectic. Uh, but I mean, you know, it, it's an alternative and what's one that's necessary. And I, hopefully this is, can help maybe build a foundation for something larger that incorporates more publishers than just Vault. Um, you know, ideally it's the, the seeds for something else. Um, so to build off that, I, I don't think that we're going to see that, um, like a, a broader system that like that, uh, unless it comes from Amazon, I guess, and comiXology, because like, that's already kind of an entrenched thing. Um, just, just simply because like no other industry works that way. 
but we as comic book fans want comics to work that way because we're used to going to the comic book store and getting all of our stuff at once from one retailer. So we think of comics that way. We think of them as a thing that we should be able to pick a la carte from the publishers we want and get them. And and that's the thing. And that's not how stuff works, right? Like I, I don't, um, you know, to make an allegory, right? Like with streaming, right? We're seeing all these companies come up with their own proprietary streaming platform, you know? And it's the same thing of like, you know, when you want a Nintendo game, you have to get it on the Nintendo console. And I, I feel like there's a certain amount of like, you know, um, leeway with that when you're talking about like smaller publishers. Like, I think it, it's not unlikely to think that maybe some smaller people will band together to have their own system. But like Marvel and DC are probably going to set up their own system similar to the, the thing that Vault's done here, where you can be like, hey, are you a, Mar- a Marvel Comics fan? Go and order the books that you want. Tell them to go to this store. We'll connect with your store. They'll get the ones that you want. They they order the appropriate number of books. You get your books and everybody everybody gets what they want, right? And I think it would be stupid for publishers to not follow suit and set up their own system. Uh, and I don't think there's really anything wrong with that. I, Cause like you say, Oh, we'll have to keep track of like 30, but it's like, realistically, it's like, there aren't that many major publishers that are putting out so many books that go to every comic book store that need a system like this, you know? Cause there are some like smaller publishers where like, you're always going to have to special order stuff to a certain degree. Right. And not everybody is necessarily needs this kind of system. But when you're talking about a Marvel or a DC or an image or a boom or an IDW or a dark horse, like those, they put out several books a month that ideally want to be at every comic book store where somebody wants a copy. Right. So why not make an easier way for fans to go online, see what's coming out, pre-order it and be able to go pick it up. Yeah. I think, I think the problem with this is, Right now, it's vault specific. Mm-hmm. Um, Diamond is working on their own, and while they're very behind, you know the times because they're Diamond. Um, I would have to imagine that whenever that comes out, that will blow up, and that'll be the thing people use. Unless yeah, I mean, that would change everything. Unless vault, you know somehow manages to get someone like image or you know one of the one of the big guys on board um but yeah kind of fairly similar to pete i'm i'm pretty pessimistic about that happening it would be interesting if this system got people to switch to vault if it was like hey like we can promise that you're going to save money by not wasting prints the the book it system yeah sorry that's what i meant yeah like being able to control how many comics you're sending out, right? And, like, not having store owners, like, getting too many, like, that that is a really big problem where, like, comic book stores have razor-thin margins. And, like, I've talked to my, um, you know, one of my LCS owners uh, quite a bit about this subject um, where, like, you know, I read image books. And, like, smaller image books, like, if he orders a few too many, they sit on the shelf forever, and it's just like dead stock, you know, and he'll be lucky if he ever sells them um, or he'll sell them online eventually if there's a market for them um, or he doesn't get enough. And then he's got people asking for him and then he's got to reorder. And then, you know, it's like a whole it's a it's a pain in the ass. And it, it's something that like negatively affects his business in a very tangible way, you know. Um, so if if 
somebody can be the one to invent a system that circumvents that. I, you know, you never know, you know, like stranger things have happened. Yeah, no, that, that's totally true. That's, that's the, that's the difficulty of the brick and mortar system though, right? Is, is trying to get books in. Uh, we've all been in a situation where you go in, they don't have a book and they say, we can order it for you. And you think, man, Amazon could have it to me faster. And that's, that's unfortunate. Uh, any final thoughts on this? I hope that this inspires competitors. You know, I hope that this is the kind of move where people see and they're like, hey, we should be doing that. Yeah. Let's get on it. You know, and somebody like who's got more resources and can, you know, uh, hopefully develop an even better system, you know, that and we can, you know, and then that'll make Book It work a little harder and like we can hopefully fucking push the comics industry into the 21st yeah. century. Yeah. Kicking and screaming. Yeah. yeah. Uh, speaking of smaller publishers, IDW group editor Sarah Gatos jumps to Oni Press. IDW uh, publishing group editor Sarah Gatos has jumped to Oni Press for the newly created role of editorial director of licensed pro- uh, publishing. Gatos, who has overseen the Disney line, Love is Love, Star Trek, and Gemini Holograms, recently won Best of San Diego People Award for her advocacy for women in comics. Quote, I couldn't be happier to join the Oni Press crew, said Gatos. Oni's vision for the future of comics is right where I want to be, and I can't wait to be there to help top-notch creators bring in even more fantastic original and licensed comics for all types of readers into this world. Uh, What do you guys think of this hire? This is interesting because I know we talked about the restructuring at Oni fairly recently, um, how a bunch of people had kind of moved up in the company and they hired a bunch of new people, and the fact that they're... Um, continuing to bring on bigger talent like this, like people who are proven entities uh, in ways that they want to expand is really interesting. Because Oni, uh, I feel like has always been like a bit of a sleeping giant, you know, like they've never been big, but they've they've always been like real comfortable in the middle, you know, like obviously Scott Pilgrim was a really big deal for putting them on the map, but like, you know, they've had a, f- a few other fairly successful books. Heartthrob. Um, Right, right. And and they put out quality stuff. So, um, again, much like Boom, seeing them grow in, in meaningful ways that seem smart is a really exciting prospect. And I think um, the idea of Oni trying to get into more uh, licensed comics is smart. Um, they had a lot of success with Invader Zim uh, in the last two years. So I think, yeah, like this seems like a, a no-brainer. And having somebody who... Uh, has been doing a really good job of it at IDW. Um, you know, I know Matt Murphy was a huge fan of Gem, Gem and the Holograms, um, and I know that they've also they've also got the uh, the GI Joe stuff and Transformers and uh, you know Turtles, and, a, a lot of the Hasbro you know. stuff. Right, right. So yeah, uh, let's let's see what she can do. Yeah, I don't I don't have too much more to add about that. I think um, Oni Oni is a great place for. Uh, you know, uh, someone who is uh, a real pioneer of getting uh, diverse talent, you know, uh, creating books that do mean something. Um, you know, even if it's just uh, a throwaway title like Gem and the Holograms, like, it's good. Like, you know, she was a, a, a definite hand in, in making that title readable and ma- and marketing it in a way that you know would make people want it and it worked so 
yeah, it's it's a very good move. So yeah, I, I, I can't agree more. It's, uh, like we've talked about this before, but uh, the expansion of smaller publishers is only good for the industry, frankly. Mm-hmm. So yeah, yeah, and it's my hope that though that those publishers are the future. Yeah, you know, um, I I really would love to see a day where we have an image or an Oni or a Boom um, emerging as a real third competitor, you know? Um, Because I I think, uh, you know, nothing against Marvel or DC, but I think the the industry being so consumed by one genre and two publishers is is only to its detriment, you know? Um, There are a lot more stories that can and are being told in this industry what uh watch your tongue marco is a huge superhero fanboy yeah i love the big two and super hero is <laughs> hero what is okay Mo- all right moving right along we're gonna talk about <laughs> moving some, right uh, along talking about uh movies and tv shows here uh this is pete ass news right here why the last man is moving forward at fx with a pilot order and marco news uh, what up? Thank you very much. Marco doesn't like comics. Uh, I don't like comics. Not a comics guy. (laughs) Not a comics guy. More than a year after uh, tapping Michael Green as showrunner, and nearly three after landing at FX, the basic cable network is moving full steam ahead with its uh, adaptation of Brian K. Vaughn's beloved comic book series, Why the Last Man. FX on Thursday announced that it has handed out a formal pilot order and enlisted Ida uh, Mashaka Kroll from Jessica Jones in turn to serve as co-showrunner alongside Green with Melina Masukas and Sakira, Master of None, Beyonce Formation, on board to direct the highly anticipated drama. Marco and Pete, how are those boners? Rock hard, baby. <laughs> I have ED. Um, <laughs> okay. Um, I'm just gonna notice all that one. Uh, <laughs> Thank you. Uh, yeah, th- this is extremely exciting to me. Um, Why the Last Man is is like was an extremely formative comic for me. You know, I, I read it um, for the first time ten years ago, and uh, it it like you know I, it was like around the time where I was seriously getting back into comics in a in a meaningful way. And, um, you know, at that point I was reading Ultimate Spider-Man. I was reading a lot of like 80s, you know, and 90s Marvel stuff. And uh, that was like it, you know, like to me that was comics. And for whatever reason, and like I don't even remember why or how. (laughs) You see what I did there? Um, I don't even remember why or how I was exposed to why. Like I don't remember who made the suggestion or you know, but somebody like I was at a comic book store with, um, Oh, you know what? No, I do remember. It was with my friend, uh, Cody Parma, who was another comic book dude. I hung out with in those days. And, uh, we went to one of our local shops as we, as we like to do. And, uh, he talked me into buying the first volume and, um, I being, you know, 15 or 16 at the time, uh, was very poor and could not afford all the volumes. And I literally had him take me back the next week. Cause it was before I was driving and uh, I was, and I bought all of them, you know. And uh, the last one hadn't come out at that point, I don't think. But uh, and I devoured it, and it was like a super, super eye-opening thing for me. That I was like, wow, there's this whole other world of comics that aren't about superheroes, you know, that are published by people besides Marvel. 
And um, and and beyond that, uh, the the stuff that that BKV was exploring in that book about um, about feminism was something that I had never really been confronted with as like a teenager, and um, it really really made me think about the world in a different way, you know. So um, it's always had a really special place in my heart, and uh, him being one of my favorite writers as well. Uh, I'm so excited to see it get a chance to be exposed to a bigger audience. Because I think Y is one of the best comics ever written, but a lot of people just haven't read it, you know? Like, it was a really big deal at the time, but it doesn't have nearly as much penetration as, like, Saga, for example. And uh, and it deserves it. You know, it's just as good as Saga. And, uh, and I, I really hope that they get it right. I think there's some really good talent attached to this. You know, some of the names that got thrown around there uh, have worked on some really good... Uh, stuff and specifically the showrunner for Jessica Jones that's emboldening because the first season of Jessica Jones was fire um so I I really do I hope this comes together I'm confident it'll come together because I I don't think that BKV would have signed off on it if he didn't think that they were gonna move it in the right direction he said as much about adapting his stuff quite a bit so I think there's a, a good there's a lot to be confident about here um and I, I hope that it leads to why getting a greater cultural significance, you know, because it's it's definitely one of the all time works in my mind. Yeah, uh, I had a similar experience to Pete. I picked it up when I started getting like into comics, like serious, more a little more seriously. Uh, I would read it more often, and this was also during the time where. Like, I was really hungry for Vertigo stuff and stuff outside of the big two. So I had started Sandman. I had f- finished or was in the middle of Swamp Thing. So it was, like, something that I, I was definitely hungry for and uh, definitely a formative book for me as well. And with regard to the show, like, this is something that's been rumored for years and that they've been trying to, to make happen. And so to hear that it gets a pilot order is it's super exciting. It's just it's it's a... It's going to be a fun time. I, and, and I, I really think that this is a good show for like what for, um, for this sort of golden era of TV that we're going through right now. Like the longer format, uh, the, the overarching stories, the way that the, the story itself is just like twists and turns. I think it's like the perfect story for that. And, uh, I, I'm excited to see how it comes out. It's funny too, because when you say that, it got me thinking, like when you think about the fact that it's also a story about, like a sensitive guy with a monkey sidekick in yeah. like this very like post-apocalyptic hyper feminist like narrative it's like yeah no like that actually i feel like that would work really well in 2018 like, yeah ahead of its time <laughs> no no definitely uh like I mean, two of the lead characters are are uh, women of color you know and it's mm-hmm. like yeah no like this is uh i feel like we got a recipe for success on our hands here yeah and, Fingers crossed, baby. And 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 FX is the the network that uh, produces Legion too, right? Yes. Yes. Which is a, yeah. another great adaptation. I know Marco's really uh, behind it. Yeah. Also, wasn't wasn't Sons of Anarchy FX? I think so. Yes. And yeah. that was a long term, high budget drama. So yeah, like I, I could work. I mean, shit. They even fucking you know Atlanta, right? Like yeah, I feel like this is totally fits into what they're doing in terms of like level of quality that is required but it fills a niche that they don't have they don't have like a big nerd sci-fi show you know and like, except for legion i guess yeah that's true uh, that's true 
but even so, even then it's like that's like more horror focused i think and you know this could uh this could form a nice you know backbone for them with that kind of content if they have two shows that are successful because obviously legion's a bit of kind of a, a cult yeah. hit yeah. um but yeah i don't know I'm, I'm excited about this really excited about this uh speaking of that show i think it's coming back for season two really soon i think it just came back right? uh the 22nd or like the 14th i don't know but yeah it's soon all right so entering our final subject in the news here uh it's speculation and rumors but uh I think we have a little fun with it. From MCU Cosmic, uh, there's speculation about who we're going to see in the post-Avengers 4 world. It sounds like Marvel is starting to solidify their plans post-Avengers 4, and one of the new franchises they look to launch is very cosmic. Thanos and his, quote, children, unquote, I don't know why it's quoted, whatever, are just one part of a much larger Marvel family tree. One that has some actual heroes, and even one-time Avengers is part of it. Uh, through confirmation from multiple sources, Marvel is looking to launch the Eternals as the new franchise post-Guardians of the Galaxy 3, and the wheels are already in motion to find Marvel's new team of heroes. So guys, I know that there are not a lot of people out there that know a thing about the Eternals. Uh, fortunately, the four of us are experts on the Eternals. So I think this is a great opportunity for us to... Uh, start a new segment on the show uh pal's history where we go deep oh, no. <laughs> where we <laughs> where we go deep into the backstory of uh, a very obscure or popular comic book franchise and for today's subject we are going to talk about jack kirby's the eternals oh my god you're Phil, just setting we, us up for failure so Phil, uh, before we start i did just want to clarify legion came out on april 3rd oh. so it's out if you guys want to watch it i will be and do it and do yeah yeah uh so uh let me let me just uh let me start off i just want to clarify this is a series uh by jack kirby as as you stated uh where when it starts Jim pranks Dwight by putting his stapler in Jello. Is that right? That wasn't actually. That wasn't the very first issue. Okay. Yeah. This is a. This is an office-based superhero mm. team. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, question though. Uh, so you said their names were Jim and Dwight. I don't quite remember. What What were the hard K sound last names that they had? Krasinski and Krabappel. <laughs> oh, okay. Good. There we go. Great. And the way Thanos ties into this is really interesting. So they come from the planet Titan, and uh, on that planet, they work for a paper firm company, uh, and uh, Jim has a crush... Mumber, Mumber Difflin. Yes. And, and, and Jim, the uh, main Eternal, he, uh, he's a, he works in sales, uh, he has a crush on Thanos' then-girlfriend, Pam. And, and this sets up a major conflict. What's that? Don't you mean map? Map. No, you dummy. Pam. <laughs> well, it's Pam map. Well, Pam, map. Pam map. That's... Duh. And, and Mark, Duh. Marco... You call people her last name. Yeah, seriously. Mark, Marco, fill in some gaps here for us. Uh, yeah, so... Uh, while on the planet uh, and while working at the uh, paper company... There's also a sub-level uh, basement that's actually a doorway into hell. 
um, that's where the warehouse is. So all their sure. paper products are cursed. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, Intergalactic Cursed Paper Company, right? That's the deal. Munder different, right. where all your paper needs. So, so how do you guys think that, that the, the uh, how the Eternals are going to tie into the rest of the MCU? Uh, do you think... Now, here's a real genuine question. Well, obviously, they're going to need uh, size five letter stock. Well, that's what, like, that's my thought. I think that uh, Nick Fury is going to need to order paper. Right. Well, yeah, my, my guess is that um, sometime after Thanos wipes out 50% of life in the universe, um, there's going to be a lot of paperwork to fill out. It's a lot of death certificates. And um, yeah, this is when they're going to they're probably going to come into play. They're going to need the support. I think it's really smart too to to kick off the event with you know like a high action season so that you you know you know what the stakes are for a paper company obviously this is going to be a busy time yeah yeah and I, I think um I think it'll be a really cool to see like the main Avengers interact with like the leader of uh, the Eternals Skykel Mott um yeah, I, I think he's like a really dynamic character. We see a lot of growth for him over over the uh, the time of the Eternals, and it'll be really interesting to see how he measures up with some of the major players we've already had established. You know, he's a real real underrated character, Skycomot. Uh, yeah, I was thinking about casting, and I don't want to get ahead of myself, but I know John Krasinski has been trying really hard to get into the MCU. He really he auditioned for Star Lord. I think he auditioned for Ronan the Accuser. Uh, and We've been casting him as uh, Mr. Fantastic. Right. What he also recently said he wants to do that. So instead of Mr. No. Fantastic, what All if he, right. what if he plays Jim? The character's last name is Krasinski anyway. So I don't see it. You don't see it? No. No. You know I don't feel like he has the right build. Mm-hmm. You know. And and honestly, like, like I I I'd, I'd want to see somebody with like uh, very diligent acting chops. A very. Uh, um, you want like a Daniel Day Lewis in the yeah, gym? Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, yeah. Interesting. Definitely see that. Oh, I could really picture him selling paper to uh, Samuel L. Jackson. I like it. Dramatic. So, did we miss anything? Any final thoughts on this? No, I mean, I think I think we covered most of the ground here. Um, you know, obviously, you always got to take it with a grain of salt. You never know if they're going to bring in some of this stuff from like Ultimate Eternals, you know, about um, where, where there's like the whole like parks thing like you know i know it's a lot different but uh i i feel like we'll probably see an amalgamation of of, of these two established canons like we have seen in the mcu in the past and uh yeah it'll be interesting to see how it plays out the smart the smart move will be to uh bring in the uh the saturn 99 crew you know um and get uh, uh detective uh <laughs> 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 that one broke me. <laughs> Marky, you, have, you have to cut out. You have to cut this out. <laughs> so that takes us into our main topic of the week. Uh, thinking about the Eternals not having a particularly memorable villain outside of Thanos, who was created before the Eternals, I believe. Uh, and are also well, and Skykel Mott's obviously his own. You know, he battles himself a lot. <laughs> yeah, like, and it's not like an internal thing. His arch nemesis, start like all right. That's <laughs> you guys know the history. <laughs> yeah, you already know the story. And like Lit, he is his own worst enemy. Um, 
we just did a, we just did a book club on All Star Superman, which has perhaps uh, arguably the best comic book villain ever in Lex Luthor. I I began thinking about what makes a great antagonist or a great villain. It's not an old concept. Captain Ahab had the white whale as his antagonist. This is this is a really old topic. I mean, it's, it's biblical, too. Like, uh, uh, any kind of satanic figure has always been the adversary of a primary religion, right? Um, what makes a good villain? What makes a bad villain? And why do so many movies nowadays struggle in developing good villains and why do so many comic companies struggle in developing new villains for their characters there's a lot to unload here but basically the question is what makes a good villain what makes a bad villain and how do you make a villain uh so i think there's there's a few answers to your first question which is where i guess i i think i'd like to start um i think a good villain uh can be like one of three things you know and and it kind of like goes into like the basic uh building blocks of storytelling right is like they it's like one of those like bullshit things they teach you in school right there's three kinds of stories like man versus man man versus nature man versus himself and i think there's a certain truth to that in terms of when you're talking about villains right like you either want a uh man versus man right where you want a villain who's a compelling dynamic character who even if you don't like uh, you empathize with or you can understand in some way or um, th- there's a dynamic to them more than they are the bad guy and they must be beaten, you know? Um, and I think you need that if you want a character that's going to feel human, right? Um, in terms of the man versus nature thing, that uh, I think is kind of the other kind of villain that we often see, which is like, you know, a, a villain that's like a force, Right? Like, I think you could look at, like, a slasher movie or something like that. Or, like, maybe even, like, a, a villain like, um, you know, like, Carnage or something like that. Who is someone who's erratic and acts more of, like, a, a force of nature rather than, like, a character that really, you know, is existing um, to go mano a mano. And, uh, and I think those are both really effective ways to create a villain in my mind. You know, is that either... The villain has to feel like someone that you can like uh, a great example of like, you know, one of the best examples of this in my mind is like uh, like Wilson Fisk in uh, in in Netflix's Daredevil series. Right. Is like creating a villain who is still a, a, a person who does things that are morally repugnant, but that you feel some empathy for. Right. That you can sympathize with his position. You can see how he became the man that he became. Right. Whereas uh, someone like the Joker is attractive, I think, because he's the exact opposite of that, right? He represents pure anarchy or, or nihilism or, or whatever, however he's being channeled, right? He's, he's, um, he's able to be used in a different way because he lacks that basic humanity. And then... Uh, he oh, he has vision. He, <laughs> well, he lacks vision. <laughs> Uh, and then I think the the other example is like what you said with Lex Luthor is a character who is either uh, the the polar opposite of the primary character who you're supposed to identify with or someone who's like a mirror image of that character, right? And I think that can become very hacky. Um, it's you know you look no further than uh, several of the Marvel Cinematic Universe's vi- villains, which are just hollow reflections of a character, you know, rather than someone with depth. Um, but Lex is how you do that right, you know? Lex is uh, bad because he's everything Superman's not. 
And not because he's a human and he's not strong, but because he's petty, because he's petulant, because he's narcissistic and vain and like he he's everything that superman doesn't represent and that's what makes him a compelling foil to superman so kale could you add to that thought what do do you think uh i mean there's not a ton i could add there um i think examples like uh killmonger hasn't been brought up yet uh you know it's also, I think one. I think uh, there are. I think it's six elements to a story, and there's like man versus society. There's man versus like technology. Yeah, there are a couple more. Anyway, uh, if you if you root your villain in his own story, I think there are there are ways to make to make the villain uh, better and more palatable. So like in Killmonger's case it's sort of rooted in the the exploitation and the and the um um sort of well not sort of the the mistreatment of you know uh uh black people in in like inner inner city America you know and like the 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 real problems that are um found uh both within like the the structural um <clears throat> the the structural uh, pieces of our of our government just trying to inhibit uh growth uh, of minorities but also in our military sort of using soldiers to sort of implement that in other cultures like like with Killmonger specifically he he says he he was in you know the um whatever ultra military force he was in and he would go destabilize governments and he 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 did that exact thing to wakanda <clears throat> um you know burn burn the whole place to the ground and build it from the ashes <clears throat> um so yeah i think i think your point pete about not just making it a mirror image is is very salient and i think especially in marvel's case like there are really only two successful villains we have loki who i think by the end of thor ragnarok is just kind of a diet hero right and then you have killmonger who is like i think your your definition real villain because he he is so rooted in his own story and tragedy and goals uh that he he is truly i think a, a real antithesis to t'challa and the black panther line i think if you can relate to a villain and their motives it is a lot easier to appreciate the villain uh i think of ant-man for instance and his villain the yellow jacket whatever that character's name is well, uh, yeah but I, I can't remember the guy's name like it's just he's a completely unremarkable character mm-hmm because you don't really care about his motives. And this is a problem that happens a lot with MCU movies uh, in general, uh, not kind of like Ant-Man, but a lot of the villains are just like, I, I gotta blow up the world or whatever and take over everything. And that's real hackneyed at this point as well. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I feel like uh, I feel like a good villain is something like like Steppenwolf, right? Like, empty 
shallow, lack of motivation, just there for Flash. Like, that's the kind of villain I need. I need... Just a big punching bag. Yeah, yeah. Here, okay, let me tell you my recipe for a villain, if I may. Okay. You sort of sit him in the corner, you give him a microphone that sort of reaches out over his face, so he talks behind it most of the time, right? You give him these big sort of metal-framed glasses... And uh, I mean, just uh, you, uh, the the part of, the part about uh, a punchable face is really uh, really salient point there, Marco. But yeah. the the thing I really want to um, I really want to drive home is the the bright red Tinder shirt. That's <laughs> that's the key to a real good villain. Up until then, you were describing three of the pals on this show that sit behind a microphone and have glasses. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, we don't the sit me- in the corner. And it's also the metal frame glasses that right, yeah. right. Marco, you're not super into uh, comic books, obviously, uh, of any kind. What what to you is a compelling antagonist? Uh, I I guess people who put the protagonist in a situation where they have to overcome uh, an obstacle that isn't necessary themselves. So like it isn't like the obstacle isn't. Uh, for example, uh, Grass Kings I'm reading right now, right? The It's about two sort of warring towns uh, and there's like the lead sheriff on the one end and then the sort of king of the, the Grass Kingdom on one end. But the villain isn't necessarily the, the, the sheriff. It's like the understanding that they're living on and like in an illegal sort of commune and that they have uh, to protect their what their idea ideas are of freedom and society. Um, so, like, I don't know. I guess what appeals to me isn't necessarily a person. It's like an idea, or the or for example, in Royal City, uh, the villain isn't necessarily a person. It's it's not even a thing. It's like the the uncomfortableness of having to deal with a f- uh, a brother who has like passed away and like that weight history that weight of history like i don't know i i, I guess like for me i don't care much about the villain I, I i care about like the backstory and that what is what provides the context for it and like so killmonger is a great example of that because there is backstory and context and it's like you're not fighting the guy necessarily you're fighting his ideas even though it is represented through through this person it's channeled through like a physical entity that uh that actually spurred a thought in me as well where like i think um a fun way to do that too is to like uh that that idea of like representing larger external or internal problems through a villain right um i think scott pilgrim does a pretty good job of that right where it's like there's these literal manifestations of um you know it's like, oh, right, like, I have to fight all of these evil exes. But if you ever, like, actually look into the subtext of, like, what's going on in Scott Pilgrim, it's obviously supposed to be representative of, like, problems in a relationship that arise. Right. But the ultimate conclusion, spoiler alert, is that it's actually problems from within, right? It's the way that I'm, like, relating to people, and it's the way that I am uh, putting um, – myself into relationships and the expectations I'm putting onto relationships and partners that are causing a lot of these, these problems and this friction, you know? And like, I think, um, you know, where like Killmonger is a good example of, uh, of a representative, like a rep being representative of like larger societal issues 
through a person, right, and humanizing them, you can also use human beings as a way to explore those kind of, you know, uh, internal struggles as well. You know, um, I was thinking about something else that I think a really good way to develop a villain is by making the audience think he's the hero. A big example of this is Tony Stark, who is the greatest villain in the MCU. God damn it, I thought you were going to make a real point. <laughs> I, it's, it's, it, it is, and it is, for the most part. Um, because Tony Stark is like Lex Luthor. He could have can- cured cancer years ago if he put his mind to it, but he's too busy making giant robot suits and uh, underpaying his employees like Pete over at the Avengers ma- Mansion. Uh, I'm paid a competitive wage, and Mr. Stark gave me a roof and five star gourmet meals. All hold right? on, don't don't you dare stand up for CEO billionaire, you son of a bitch! <laughs> Wait, isn't the uh, are, are the Avengers a private entity? Or are they uh, government yeah, sponsored? Yeah, they're private organizations. No, they're private. In the comics, they're privately owned. In the movies, they seem to be government related. Yeah. That's okay, true. like government adjacent. Uh, related, yeah. I I think you probably could make an argument about adjacent. Yeah. Uh, but they're definitely sort of, and, and this is sort of the plot of Civil War. But they're they're sort of trans government, and that's and that's what Shield is. Yeah. Yeah, in the original movie, I think they definitely were like it's. This is specifically a government initiative, but then like you know, obviously the fallout of Civil War puts it in two pretty distinct camps, right? Like. There's a group of them that are definitely working outside the government. Right, right. Genuinely speaking, I think cinematic Tony Stark can be painted as a villain, particularly for the second Avengers movie uh, and some yeah. war for that matter. Yeah, there he, he in that I think makes him a compelling character. I know I give a lot of shit, and that, that's that's just because of the quips and memes and the Tony and the Robert Downey Jr. shit. But in a genuine way, there is a compelling argument to be made that Tony Stark really is the biggest initiator of conflict in the MCU uh, thus far, at least. Uh, And I think, I guess that blurs that hero villain thing that uh, uh, like a character, like the Punisher, that's another morally ambiguous character, but more deliberately. So that's a character who kills with impunity. He is judge, jury and executioner. He has his own moral guidelines that make him a morally complex character, but the fact remains that he takes the law and morality of life into his own hands. Now, does a character like that, in your mind, is that a villain or is it an anti-hero? Is an anti-hero a villain? Anti-hero. Like Venom. Yeah. Is Venom an anti-hero too? Well, it depends on who's writing him. You know? Like, and I think that is important to keep in mind with some of these characters, right? Like, it's really dependent on who's wielding the pen. Um, because, yeah, the Punisher is an anti-hero, you know, and, like, he's always been an anti-hero, you know, like, his original, uh, appearance was as a, an antagonist to Spider-Man, but he was intentionally written to be sympathetic, you know? So, um... A good villain can be sympathetic, though. Sure, but, but I think that's the thing, right, is, like... Killmonger is sympathetic. Yeah, but Frank Castle's not Killmonger. Like, Frank Castle's not destabilizing governments. Like, he's killing killers. And, like, you know, that doesn't make what he's doing right. But it does... It it is different, right? Like, he's not murdering old people to take over a government for revenge. You know? And, like, 
like Killmonger is a sympathetic character, but he's a bad guy. And Frank Castle might be a bad guy, but he doesn't do as many bad things, at least in the context of comic book vigilantism. In, in Killmonger's eyes, he's mm-hmm. the hero of his story. He is taking over the government for the ends justify the means. He thinks the presence of Wakanda is a problem, that they're not doing enough with their resources to make a better for a better presence around the planet, because the ways of Wakanda are better than the ways of America, which are systematically oppressing African Americans. So, in his eyes, he's the hero. Here's an interesting. I want to just reply to that one thing, Kale. I'm sorry. Just I, like okay. I don't know that heroes are supposed to think that they're heroes. That's exactly what I was going to say. A villain, a villain does think he's a hero, but I think I think a a, a real hero and a true hero doesn't. Does does Booster Gold think Where? he's a villain because he totally thinks he's a hero? I mean, you could you could definitely make an argument that Booster Gold is villain. I think, um, but people like Frank Castle would definitely argue that they're not heroes, right? That you see that in Daredevil, yeah, and in Punisher, right? And it's like he does like at the end of the day, his actions cause more good than harm. In that series, right? And I think, and I think that's just luck of the draw, really. <laughs> like, well, and it's, but it's also, it's also specifically who he targets. You know, it's like again, like he is a violent man. He's a killer, but he points his gun in the direction to reunite a man with his family, right? And give, and I think like that that draws a line, and it doesn't make him a hero. But I think that's that's where you get in the anti-hero thing, right? To, to someone like Matt, who the law is so important to, there is no due process for these people. Frank Castle's trying on himself, and he's coming up with his own uh, verdict and his own within, within his own jurisdiction. Uh, to Matt Murdock, Frank Castle is a villain. Obviously, Matt Murdock is a very sympathetic person, and he, you know, he sympathizes with Frank Castle too. But in his eyes, that. He's a, he's someone that he needs to take out like take out of action not uh, permanently but he can't be on the streets of New York. Sure, but I think you can even look at him and the way he treats Frank Castle, and it, he treats him with a way different lens than he treats Kingpin. Right, like uh, he he tries to talk Frank into joining him, you know, into being like you don't have to be a killer; you can use your skills to you know, be a hero, right? And it's like, I think that even so, right? Like saying, looking at Matt and how much he cares about the law and everything, he's willing to step outside it for people that he thinks are special, right? So that says a lot about his own moral code, right? Like, I believe strictly in the law unless it applies to my friends or, you know, my girlfriend. Um, so that, that being said, I think that, like says a lot about the the volume of difference right because kingpin right is the hero in his own story he thinks he's trying to help people right like that's his narrative but innocent people get hurt for his greater good right and like ideally in in frank castles they don't you know he he doesn't point his gun at innocent people Let's let's move the conversation here to what makes a bad villain. And the first thing that sprung to mind for me, and I'm sure Kale is thinking the same thing, is uh, the the woman in fridge stereotype. And we've talked about that a little bit in the past. But when a when a when a villain kills a protagonist's love interest to 
provide more depth and and, and and motivation for the character to make it more sympathetic to overcome an obstacle. I think of characters like Major Force, who is the originator of this stereotype. He's the one who took Kyle Rayner's girlfriend and put her in a refrigerator. And even to a, a, an earlier extent, uh, Norman Osborn, who killed Gwen Stacy to help push Spider-Man. I, I'm not saying that makes the Green Goblin a bad villain, but that's the question. What makes a bad villain? Like, Well, so I think I would like to jump in there because I think the difference with Green Goblin is it wasn't um, – I like the plot device wasn't used to make him a better villain, right? Like it was that they needed to get rid of Gwen. And I think like the fact that um, he already had a connection to Peter that was deeper – uh, because of Harry, um, it doesn't feel like, oh, let's have him kill someone to make him relevant. I feel like that was a thing that just elevated their feud. Well, and I think I think the thing about the Gwen Stacy death is that it was the first of its kind. Like sure. if you if yeah. you if you if you look at it through the lens of the the you know women in refrigerators trope, like yes, of course, that's exactly what it is, but. No one else had done it. And, you know, it took a while for that to come around to the point where we got a trope out of it. And, and just because it elevated the feud, that, that's part of the, that's the perceived problem is that you're using a woman's death to elevate a story like that. that, that that's the beef. But I think Kale's right. It's the first of its kind. Well, and, and I think it's important to point out, though, right, is like that is a bad trope in comics. It, but... You can't blame this for all of the imitators that followed, right? Exactly. And, and I, yeah. And right. that's that's what I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah, right, right. I'm agreeing with you. And and I also think that it's important to note that um again, while I think that that trope has been used uh really lazily quite often, um having someone's loved ones be killed as a motivator is a thing in superhero comics. Like, and, and like, you can criticize the aspect of it that it's like, oh, well, it's a woman, but it's like, yeah, but the whole catalyst for Spider-Man even being a hero is the death of his uncle. Like, that's, that's a, you know, I, I think it's used hacky when it's hacky, right? Yeah. Like, and, and the fact that it's been done hackily so many times is why it has a bad rap. But, um, yeah, I, I don't. And, and we're like getting in the weeds about this because this is even why Phil brought it up. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't think that, uh, I don't think this example specifically falls under that trope. Well, that, that that raises the question still. Then what what does make a bad villain? Them being thin, you know. I think uh, a great example for me is um, Doomsday is a bad villain. You know, Doomsday. There's, you know, he's got a, a super elaborate backstory. That simply exists to explain why he could kill Superman, and he's famous because he killed Superman. Like, and, yeah, and he's a plot device. The yeah, the problem the problem with him is that he keeps coming back. Say, I'm, to me, it's the same with the Phoenix. Like, it's a it's a dope idea once. <laughs> How do you keep bringing back the character that killed Superman? When he gets defeated by Superman. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, that's the problem with characters like Doomsday or, you know, I mean, 
to to a lesser degree the the phoenix like you know you can make an argument about the phoenix being like a cosmic entity and and you know it being indestructible blah 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 but uh, you know so was doomsday marco what what checks the boxes for you when you tune out of like a superhero property when like the villain is just completely uninteresting like what are some things that just checks the boxes for you like yep don't care about this uh it's usually not the villains usually the main character um uh, i mean because if if they're there to just be a reflection of the main character then what am i here for you know if if it's if they have their own story then they have their own story they're sort of their own character um so for me it's largely like the protagonist or whatever situation well that that made sense you know what, uh, and maybe this is getting us back off to another topic, but I, I think one of the things that also makes a good villain is if they inspire fear in a hero that is generally not afraid. Um, that's something that I think always adds a lot of gravity for me is um, someone who comes to mind for me is uh, in uh, Invincible. Um, his arch nemesis for a, a, a big portion of the book is a guy named Angstrom Levy. And, um, he is like, there's a point in the book where Mark is just completely consumed by his fear that he's going to return one day and, uh, and, and do something to his wife or his family or, you know, one of his friends or that he'll present an obstacle that he's not able to stop, you know, and he becomes obsessed with the idea of finding a way to kill him because he's so afraid of, the next attack and seeing a character who is quite literally invincible, right? Like someone who you've seen overcome all these kinds of obstacles and, uh, and, and not, and, and, you know, not, um, flinch, you know, in, in the face of, of danger, uh, to be consumed by that obsession or that fear of that person, um, I think is, is something that's really good if you can pull it off. That that was kind of spider-man with carnage when he was first introduced yeah well and i think i think that's the greater fear with norman osborne like you know especially especially around the time of the the first toby Maguire movies like if you think about spider-man's relationship with the green goblin like there's true fear there whereas you know most most mainstream people believe that his arch nemesis would be like venom and it's like, eh, yeah, I guess for a period, maybe. Yeah, like I would definitely, I would definitely be afraid of Venom if I met him in a dark alley. But like, once you beat him, you know how to beat him. Norman Osborn, yeah, eventually, that he he loses that fear. Norman Osborn, but yeah, sorry, uh, but I think to that, like, to the building of of fear, it it loses its ability to scare a character if it's only about that character like if if for example it um like within within swamp thing right there's a character that always comes back uh it's his arch nemesis uh anton arcane who is the aunt of whatever of um abigail but the reason that he that he makes a good villain is when he does come back he comes back in a different way and sort of affects not swamp thing directly but indirectly through like exterior uh through exterior forces that um for example when he comes back he comes back and inhabits the body of abigail's husband and sexually abuses her 
like uh for a couple weeks and a couple like months and and that's where he actually finally reaches out and attacks Swamp Thing. Like it, it it's it's not through it, it, the conflict isn't again it's not direct it's it's indirect the fear is all all encompassing like there's there's bugs everywhere all of a sudden or you know like there's a a, a glooming wind you know that, that that's the kind of stuff that keeps those kind of characters fresh because they come back and aren't a direct force they're they drive larger parts around of a story and uh, that would that's what makes them uh effective if you just come back and it's like, I'm here to kill Superman or whatever, like, okay, fine. Yeah, that gets boring. But like, if you find new ways to actually make that work or to approach him or to like, um, it, it just brings a different kind of, I guess, fear and yeah. And, and like a different, a different kind of villain from a different perspective. <laughs> you know what I think also definitely helps that too is, um, you know, and you pointed out the thing, right. Of like, uh, this character, took control of a man's body and then sexually assaulted his wife, right? Like, I think um, that's a cheap tactic sometimes, but I I do think when it's used well, again, like, having a character who, like, really is heinous, you know, who, like... Leland Palmer from Twin Peaks. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. uh, yeah, Right, right. Like, there, there, and there are countless examples of, of, uh, of villains like that. I mean, you can even argue that the Joker is like that, right? Like, where, like, having a, a villain that is really that does horrible things, vile things, um, that you want to see brought to justice is satisfying, you know? And I think that's the thing that, uh, like, you know, I brought up Invincible before, uh, Kirkman does a really good job of, of establishing a villain that you really love to hate and that you want to see get cut down, you know? And I think um, something we brought up uh, in the bad thing, right, is, like, I think a lot of times um, one of the most important things about a villain is, like, having them being used right not overused and going away uh because i really do think that like you know we talked about um spider-man before and how there are like different eras of who was his arch nemesis at different times and like generally speaking i feel like when a character gets past arch nemesis right if they're not going to be killed or reformed they should just go away yeah well that that raises that that's a good uh, segue, Pete, because that's the next question. How do you create an effective villain, and why is it so difficult? Nowadays, the last 15, 20 years, it's gotten more difficult to create memorable villains in books, and it's that's ditto for the films, too. Movies have a hard time making really memorable villains. Why is it so difficult? I, I think it's only in superhero comics, and I think it's the same reason that it's hard to make new heroes. You know, is that people are entrenched, you know, and like, we want certain characters, we want certain dynamics, and then we get them and we're mad that they're not as good, or that they're played out, because they are, you know, and um, how many times can you reset Spider-Man to go up against Green Goblin, or, you know, Venom, or or whoever, right, like, to uh, Dan Slott's credit, as much as I don't, you know, care for it, right, like, he found a way to do something new with Doc Ock, right? If you have a story to tell and you can find something fresh to do with a classic villain, that's great. Bring them back and do that. But otherwise, I think um, we need to let characters go, you know, and 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 do something new. Because, to, like, again, I, I brought up Robert Kirkman before. One of the things that's good about, you know, those books is that they establish a villain. You want to see them cut down. 
and they get cut down or they don't, right? And like the story progresses and you move past them, you know, and you go on to the next thing. And, um, you know, that was what superhero comics did for the longest time before they became so obsessed with legacy. Cyclical. Cyclical, right, exactly. Um, Because they didn't always used to be that way. And like, some things are always cycling back, right, of course, but, you know, like, we got Venom in the 80s, right? Like, that, and has there been a a really major Spider-Man villain added to the uh, Rose Gallery since then? Like, uh, what's his name? And Sean would probably be able to jump in and say yes, but um, the the guy who's going to be... In the game. In the new one, yeah, the question mark guy. Um, Mr. Negative. Um, yes, Mr. Negative. And he, he was a, a big, but he's not Venom. Yeah. You know, like. I would even argue, I mean, for an arc or two, he was fine. But I, yeah, I wouldn't say he's anything spectacular. To um, uh, fail to, I mean, I guess to answer your previous question, that's exactly what, uh, of like what makes a bad villain for me. Like it's exactly what Pete just kind of laid out is if they become a trope and largely superhero comics for me have become tropes. So from that perspective, it's just, I, I'm not going to care much for it. Cause, uh, while I, I like, I, I agree largely with, with, with what you said, Pete, where like, if they want to create a, a villain, they should kind of just like either remove whichever ones that they have already kind of played out. Cause I mean, you can't do that for obvious reasons because you know whatever everything has to reset but like that would be the sort of narrative the way to to make them and keep them memorable and yeah uh, that's basically that's where it stands with that for me man but you know it's it's not just superhero books that this is a problem this is superhero movies too uh the majority of superhero movies have a really hard time establishing meaningful villains and it's not just a marvel cinematic universe problem it's it's all superhero movies I mean, I think it's kind of related to what we've already kind of said regarding just like building a character, like a building a villain, like whether it's in comics or in movies, it's sort of, sort of similar. Well, and I think, I think, you know, in the case of like Black Panther versus something like the Flash TV show, um, or even like Arrow, like, you know, when you root a villain in real life stuff, and then when that time is over and the 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 plot is at its end you know similar to what Pete said like you either kill that character or you get past it and like the thing the thing about black panther is that he you know he had to kill killmonger or like he would have just he would have kept coming back and he would have kept like, fighting or what? And, yeah and and sort of the problem similar to you know as as you know i'm i i know we've already addressed here you know when you have a a character who refuses to to kill the problem you know like batman and joker or you know the the flash and his numerous villains you know and i'm certainly not advocating that because I, i i think that does make for a really good story i'm advocating it just doesn't it's not believable, you know, like in real life, like you can't let these stakes continue. Do you think it makes Batman complicit that he lets these murderous villains survive? Yes. 
It does. And, like, other characters have made that commentary. You know, like, I don't even think that's, like, a secret. You know, like, uh, fucking Damian Wayne, that was his whole thing, right? Is like, every time you let the Joker escape from Arkham and he kills a bunch of people, that blood's on your hands because you won't snap his neck. And it's like, you're right. Like, that's true. And, like, if, if, like, Batman's whole thing is that, like, he won't, if he crosses that line, he can't uncross that line. It's like, all right, well, then maybe, like, don't be a vigilante, dude. You know, like, you know, like, and and I get it. The world needs a Batman, but that's also deus ex machina. You know, like, there yeah. there is, like, there is a certain, like, you have to have a certain amount of suspension of disbelief to not say that Batman is complicit in those killings. And, like, I don't think he's written to be complicit in those killings, but I think if you're asking me, like, point blank, what do I think? Yeah, like, that's what's happening. Every time that he allows the Joker to roam free because he's unwilling to put him down or find a more permanent solution, those people die. Is our state complicit in when we incarcerate killers that eventually get uh, released or or or... They, they, there's uh, tie-ups in the legal system, and they go out and kill more people. Uh, and our pr- are you saying? Are you asking for a U.S. government as a villain? Yeah, though. I, I mean, I mean, yes, but for a lot more reasons than just that. Those are two separate questions. The answer to both, in my mind, is yes. Okay, fine. Yes, um, fine. Fair enough. hundred yeah. um, percent. Right, because that's my thing. Is uh, and, and I don't want to get too political on the show. Oh, but, then don't. <laughs> um, well, fuck you, Marco. I'm going to. Um, I mean, so, I could stand for you to not. Well, no, I'm just. Well, <laughs> well, could you? Look, eh, whatever. No, Pete, 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 make your point. Yeah, like, we're trying to have a conversation here, you know. Um, so I think, to me, regardless of your stance on on like capital punishment, uh, I do think that if you're convicted of murder right like if you're a a convicted killer in the way the villains we're talking about are then yeah the government is complicit in those killings if they allow that person back on the streets and if we are saying as a society we don't believe in capital punishment fine but i think the answer to that then is to keep them incarcerated and not let them continue to escape you know it's like maybe instead of being in arkham asylum he should be in a you know a superpowered prison or something where he can't escape and kill people. That's a very that's, yeah. that's a very Hammurabi kind of thing, an eye for an eye uh, uh, morality. Uh, I, I, I think I think it's a good time to wrap this up. Any final thoughts here? Kill off. Villains. I think the point that underlines this the most is you know this whole topic is sort of a villain, a good villain believes they're the hero, and in more than they're just the hero's punching bag. Like, if you if you want a good villain, you want someone who believes in what they're doing and, uh, you know, believes they're 100% absolutely doing the right thing. I believe killing all superheroes will make the comics industry a better place. Yes. I I do think the kill's point... Marco, you're like Lex Luthor, but poor. Whoa! To, to Kale's point, Marco, ki- Marco is the villain of the show. <laughs> hey, yeah, hey, like, the whole reason we're here is because Marco's bankrolled the whole thing. What do you mean he's poor? <laughs> oh, he's not a millionaire or a billionaire or whatever the fuck Lex Luthor is. He's not a cool super- Compared to us. He's not a cool supervillain like MF Doom or Grant Morrison. Hey, Ooh, sometimes, sometimes the villains aren't very cool. They're yeah. just effective. Yeah. 
So that wraps up the main topic here. Uh, thank you so much for listening to us today on the Comics Pals. You can always find us on all social media at the Comics Pals and on YouTube. Make sure you subscribe and uh, like all of our videos and feel free to comment on anything you'd like. Uh, we have a lot of stuff here in the works. Uh, we have the Video Game Pals that release every uh, Tuesday. We have uh, Riverdale Review that releases uh, every Wednesday. Is that over now, guys? Riverdale Review? It's on a break. This week will be our last one. For, oh, no. That was no, the last we're, we're, Yeah, we're on a break now for, I think, two, three weeks? Three weeks. Three weeks. We just released the All-Star Superman Book Club episode, so go check that out. Uh, I think that turned out pretty well. I also hosted that. Sean and I just put out a WrestleMania and NXT TakeOver prediction and uh, uh, a prediction video and with, with our own guesses of who will win those matches. Uh, and... I think that's all of our stuff. We have a Avengers book coming out at the end of the month as well for that book club. That's an Infinity Gauntlet one. So uh, with that all said, let's do some plugs. Pete. Cool. Uh, thank you guys so much for joining us here in another episode of the Comics Pals. And uh, oh, one one last thing actually that Phil didn't plug um, was that uh, we also have got uh, Pals Play Monday through Thursday over on YouTube. Thompson and I did Far Cry 5 this last week. We just posted our first uh, Twitch stream where we've been streaming over on uh, twitch.tv slash thecomicspals. Uh, we're trying to get more active over on Twitch, so definitely go check that space out if you're into that kind of stuff. And um, I think this week we're back on a way out. So, uh, yeah, definitely tune into that if you're a gamer and you're into Let's Plays. Uh, Thompson and I have been having a really good time, and we've been making some really funny stuff. So um, please go check that out. And then if you want to get more content from me, you can check out my writing over on uh, CBR.com. I've got a new list out about um, New Superman that uh, is still making me money. And then this upcoming week, I'll have one about Rorschach. Uh, so go check those out. Um, the Rorschach one's actually really cool. I, I did uh, some deep dives and found a bunch of stuff that in my several years of reading Watchmen and reading about it, I actually had never heard. So um, I got some really cool ones for this one. So go check that out and uh, help me pay the bills. And make sure you go click on my author title. Click on some of the other like news articles that I've been doing over there as well. Definitely helps me um, generate some income. So uh, please go do that. And then you can follow me at loud underscore Pete on Twitter and Instagram and, um, you know, Talk to me about this or any other thing that we've talked about this week. I'm super hyped to talk about Why the Last Man, uh, Spider-Man on PS4, and Spyro the Dragon this week. So hit me up about any of that stuff, and we'll have a, uh, a good conversation. Cool. Kale? You can find my uh, comics at uh, co- on Comixology uh, at, at Panels Publishing. Um I wrote a a short monster series called From the Deep with uh, my frequent collaborator, Letty Wilson. Uh, You can find the rest of uh, panel stuff on selfie.com slash panels publishing. If you want to find me on social media, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Toto Into. That's T-O-T-O-I-N-T-O-W. Marco. You can find me on uh, Twitter and Instagram at Mr. Marco Animoto. Uh, I am also the mod over at the official uh, Longbox Podcast subreddit, R Tentacle Gang. Go go subscribe. Go check it out. Quality content, guys. Um, and then on top of the uh, Uzumaki book that I'm reading that uh, Brian recommended, I also got uh, Ant Colony by Michael DeForge. Uh, with, that's the author of the previous book I read, I think like two, three weeks back called Big Kids. Um, I really like his stuff. Check it out. Really cool things from John and Quarterly. I went a bit on a binge, so 
go get more books. It, it's no wonder Marco is the villain here. Uh, he listens to so much of the long box that it's completely poisoned his brain. <laughs> uh, Sean. Uh, I don't, I really have no idea how to do a Sean impression that w- and, fr- and, and frankly, I'm uncomfortable trying. <laughs> Go follow Sean, uh, at Sean Soapbox. Tell him why the Phoenix sucks. He loves that. Tell, tell him that Jean Grey would be better off as a pirate. Duh. <laughs> I'd read that. Speaking of which, he'll be back next week. He uh, he's in New Orleans this week to go see WrestleMania. He should be back uh, a few. He should be back by the time this is uh, this episode drops. Uh, and incidentally, if you would like to uh, tell us who your favorite villain is and why they're a good villain, please feel free to comment on our video or send us a message about it. We'll uh, gladly read that on the air. Uh, as for me, you can find me at Twitter and Instagram at Cyborg Bebop. Uh, we'll have a WrestleMania video uh, drop this week when Sean gets back, so you can look out for that. And uh, until next time, this has been The Comics Pals. Thank you for uh, stopping by, and thanks for listening. Love you. Kale has nothing. I didn't have one. Yeah, so. And it usually works real well, but sometimes you just, sometimes you just don't have it. You can't force it. <laughs>